How's it going, everybody? This is Andy McCullough from The Athletic here with Mark Carrig. Also from The Athletic, you are listening to Beyond the Scrum, a podcast about baseball. Mark, how are you, man? I'm great, Andy. How are you? You know, Mark, if I was any better, I'd be you, I guess. Oh, that's nice. That's I don't nice. Know. It's glad to hear some positivity from you. I'm so feeling a, great. I'm feeling great. It's kind of a change-up. What, uh, what, what if I just, like completely changed my gimmick and became like the optimist guy you know yeah that would get tired very quickly (laughs) yeah like i'd rather fucking talk about unwritten rules for the next year than have you do that face turn that would be so bad it is a good thing you brought up unwritten rules mark that was really a great segue by you because that is what we'll be discussing today and we have a great guest to do it dennis lynn our padres before reporter before we get to dennis just remember subscribe to the pod if you haven't give us a five-star review uh you know we really appreciate it but after you've subscribed and rated and reviewed you can say hello to dennis as we're doing right now what's up dennis hi eddie hi mark What's going on? Thanks for coming by, dude. Been a busy day, huh? Or a busy couple days? Yeah, it's weird. People are talking about the Padres. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It feels like Fernando Tatis Jr. is not even a Padre. He's like this separate entity where people are just like Tatis, Tatis, Tatis. And then there's Jake Cronenworth, who Andy knows all about now. Crony. That's about it. It's Tatis and the Crony Show. (laughs) Come yeah, on, man! For, don't don't short Denelson Lamette that way. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah, I should, I should put him in there. He's he's been great. Yeah, you, yeah, Lamette is in there for sure. He's really good. Yeah, it is nice to have like the one week a year when everyone's like, "Hey, the Padres, man! They're still around. They got brown uniforms. It's great." Uh, can you if for our listeners who were like lucky enough to not be online yesterday? Uh, can you basically just give a quick rundown about what happened between the Padres and the Rangers? Sure, I can, Andy. Uh, Monday night in Texas, um, the Padres were leading by seven runs in the eighth inning. Tatis was up, uh, bases loaded, no outs, and he hit a 3-0 pitch out of the ballpark for his second home run of the game, first grand slam of his career. And the the Rangers were not happy about it. Um, and then after the game, Jake Stingler um, – he was asked the question. He answered it and said, Tatis, you know, missed the take sign there. The, the, the pitcher was kind of wild. We wanted to grind the inning, uh, kind of whatever that means. When you have Tatis, I think most people <laughs> want to see him swing away. <sighs> and he also said, uh, we want to, uh, you know, not run up the score or anything like that. And uh, when he was asked about the next pitcher, um, because the pitcher who gave up the home run, the grand slam was immediately relieved, mm-hmm. thrown behind Manny mm-hmm. Machado immediately. He said it didn't matter, and it was the only pitch that went behind Machado that night. So that was kind of strange. And also have to keep in mind Good that Jace Tingler had spent the last 14 seasons in the Rangers organization. Uh, he's really good mm-hmm. friends with Chris Woodward, the Rangers manager, and he was in their dugout last season as a coach. So there's some kind of no politics or just – some, uh, you know, interesting territory to navigate going there. Uh, but basically, Tatis came on after him on the Zoom after Tingler. He basically had to apologize for, you know, being really good mm-hmm. at baseball. So people are uh, very <laughs> upset about that and upset at Tingler. Um, 
who the next day came on and said, you know, I probably could have worded that a little better. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's where we are. <laughs> we actually have the audio from Jace Tingler. Tim, would you be able to play uh... that? Probably starts with just, you know, p- picking up the sign. I think like the, the, the learning opportunity. And, and just so you know, uh, a lot of our guys have green light, you know, 3-0. Um, but, you know, in this game in particular, um, you know, we, we had a, a little bit of a comfortable lead and, you know, we're, we're not trying to, um, you know, run up the score or anything like that. And so, uh, you know, put on the, the, the take sign and, and um, you know, probably, probably see a strike right there. Yeah. Yeah. That is some patent stuff right there. Um, wh- God, so- it is dumber hearing it again. Yeah, I Lord mean, God, I is get, it bad? I get you get it. it? No, you get it. You I, get that? I, yeah. You get telling the one of the best players on the planet <laughs> not to swing the fucking bat. You get that? You do? You get that? No, tell me how you get that. I get where he's coming from, Mark. I don't agree with him. I'm trying to be charitable. This is the since, whole thing. I'm trying to be nice. Since, now. since when did you care? about people's feelings <laughs> like that's new is this a new market inefficiency i'm just now becoming aware of that you adopted secretly over the last couple of weeks that i just haven't picked up on until just now like what is so, this so dennis let's get back to let's get what <laughs> settle down mark <laughs> settle down all right oh, yes dennis please save this please so what what has been the reaction in San Diego to kind of the way Jace Tingler handled this situation? Well, I could tell you the um, reaction on Twitter because it's not like I've been going out around town. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good. And uh, surveying people in person, but uh, people you're just walking around the <laughs> gas lamp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, people on Twitter uh, they they wanted Jace Tingler fired. <laughs> um, like 20 that seems games extreme. into that's dumb. managerial that seems career. Extreme. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, the, the number one rule, right, is always you publicly back the player, even if he's totally wrong. And in this case, technically, Tatis, he did miss a sign. He didn't even look over to third base if you go back and watch. He, he was just so dialed in. He was thinking, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna mash this pitch, which he did to his credit. Um, but uh, for some context here, not to just jump in and say I'm, you know, siding with Chase Tingler 100%, but um, – He's a, we've come to learn just in a short time here in San Diego, he's a stickler for the fundamentals. I know the Padres haven't necessarily been showing it so far. I mean, they're, they're just a little over 500 as time of this recording and they've, their bullpen has been terrible. They have, they've been walking lots of guys. They've been striking out a lot. There's been mistakes and they want to clean that up. So that's part of why Tingler was so adamant that, you know, you need a, you need a, you need to see the signs and you need to, you know, abide by them, which, you know, Tatis didn't even see the signs. So that's the, that's a problem in his book. Um, but I think in this case, you probably could have found a way to get that message across publicly. Um, privately, he obviously did too as well. But publicly, you could have said something a little, um, you know, less, I guess, forward about um, not running up the score, first of all. And then just, you know, Tatis is the best player in the game right now. You have to, I think, approach him a little bit differently. It's like, kind of like LeBron James had a breakaway when you're up 30 points and he did a windmill dunk and, after he came back to the bench, he said, okay, that's that's not necessary. And everyone else wants it. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I think 
this is a learning experience for a new manager. Um, he came came out the next day and said, you know, that was the wrong call. I should have let mm -hmm. him swing away because we've had trouble mm -hmm. closing out games. But I think uh, all around, just a learning experience, more so for Tingler than Tatis probably. So what happened yesterday, I guess, was that um, Chris Woodward and – what was the name of the pitcher? I don't even remember. The guy who threw behind Manny Machado were both suspended, uh, which seemed like it made sense. Um, but there was basically an entire day of – online discourse about unwritten rules in baseball which like i'll be honest like my first impulse was to try to come up with an argument to defend chris woodward because i'm like a contrarian and i'm just i was like preemptively exhausted by the impending debate um now i could not actually come up with a good argument to defend him because his position that you know you shouldn't be trying to score runs uh was kind of preposterous um but I feel like I was justified in uh, predicting how exhausting the discourse would be. Um, you know, like, would you believe that, you know, Chris Russo didn't like it? It's like, no, this is, you know, what what is shocking there? Um, so I, I just found the whole sort of dialogue around this to be, uh, yeah, just kind of tiresome. But I think it, it it is interesting that these are two guys in – Tingler and Woodward, who are not considered, you know, like throwback manager types, right? They were both hired because of their ability to communicate, to work with young players, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I think the fact that, you know, like, for example, like I covered Chris Woodward, he was a coach with the Dodgers. He was very well liked in that organization, which is a very forward thinking, you know, sort of place. It's not a, uh, you know, it's not a place that spends a lot of time, you know, talking about unwritten rules. Um, and to come out of a, a an organization like that with a high endorsement to go become, you know, manager of another club and to see someone, you know, who had that sort of pedigree still pointing to these sort of, you know, like you can't do this when you have a certain you know type of lead, you can't play this way. It To me, it just pointed out like how deeply instilled this culture is in the sport and how it's still going to be many, many years before, like, like we're going to be having this debate in 2030, I think. Like, it's never going to stop. <laughs> like, it's just so deeply ingrained in the sport. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it goes back to Tatis and his own upbringing. I mean, his dad is an admittedly old school baseball player and a baseball person now. Uh, he's been a manager recently in the Dominican Winter League. And um, to you know, further add some context to Jay Stingler, he managed. He was managing in the Dominican Winter League when the Padres hired him. So he gets that culture, and he gets you know where where these players, especially these young Latino players, are coming from. Um, but again, I think his thing was with the signs mostly, and then a little bit with you know not wanting to embarrass his old team. So again, he could have he could have worded it better, but he he definitely gets that you know there's players who are changing the game, and he has probably the best one on his team right now. I mean, is that bullshit though? Really worded it better? <laughs> like, I mean, because let me step back. First of all, I don't want to pick on Jace Tingler or or Wood or Chris Woodward because. I happen to agree with Andy. This isn't some thing of two old school managers. It's such a lazy ass way to look at it. It's not that at all. However, this is a thing, this culture, this unwritten rules stuff 
that just won't go away. And because it is so pervasive, like if you're thinking about this, it is clearly bigger than, frankly, two managers that if you're not a hardcore baseball fan, you couldn't name off the top of your head. Like Jace Tingler is a rookie manager. He's learning on the job. He's on a club that isn't in the spotlight a lot. Woodward's in his second year. Team hasn't been winning all that much. And again, it's not like one of the marquee franchises. So it's not like, like, I'm so sick of seeing this shit about it's these two guys. Like, it's not. It's just way bigger than that. So what bothers me is to sit there and, and talk like, well, I just didn't use the right word. That's fucking bullshit. What it is, is that they subscribe to this thing that will not go away. That's the point. Not that Chris Woodward or Jace Tingler should be fired. They shouldn't. They just happen to adhere to this thing that will not go away. I think that's the issue, not wording. Like, so given that he's probably, and everything I've heard is that he's more on the progressive side of things. I mean, isn't that really what this is? Do you buy that this is wording? Well, hold on, Mark. Like, the, the, the job of the big league manager, number one, is to be the public face of the organization. So wording actually is very important. Like the, the, the picture you present to the public is very important. So I actually do agree that it is like that the wording choices is, is, is major. Like oh, I, I don't on. think I, I'm serious. His Wait job, a minute. No, no, no. But if the, the wording choice, like, thanks for coming on the show, Dennis, we'll see you next he's week. Cu- he's coming on to this. Like he, he's, he's coming at it from a very clear defined perspective. So why does it matter what words that he uses? The issue here is that they still buy into this ridiculous notion, which, by the way, historically was created for a world that no longer exists. Okay, the unwritten rules aren't about, oh, this gentlemanly freaking notion of etiquette. No, it's not. It was about guys protecting other guys from losing jobs when there were only eight teams and two leagues. And like there's, you know, not the 30 rosters spots we had to start the year that's where it's from not this idea of oh that's not embarrassing i like this is some genteel game of croquet that's not what this is yeah but we're arguing two different things well i mean i i think the issue is that's where they're coming from and i don't give a shit what the wording is and it's like a cop-out to say oh i just didn't phrase it properly that's not what it is is, this is a reminder I, i i genuinely think yesterday was the worst baseball worst day on baseball twitter in my lifetime it, like it was, it was the it was the nader, I think, for baseball. Well, I don't Twitter. know man. because it's this, it's this. Like, what are you even saying? What am I saying <laughs> is that they've got a manager that goes up there and blames poor wording on what really is a matter of not being smart enough or like out there enough to like think through what it is that these beliefs are, because that's what ultimately mm. is what pushes you towards an action like not backing your best player. Okay, for uh, that—that's what causes you to have that guy apologize. That—that's what causes you to go on a Zoom call after a game and show more concern for the feelings of the guys across the way, rather than trying to win a freaking baseball game. Okay, so here's a question, Dennis. Here's a question, Dennis. Like, do you think? Give us your read on just like how, on on the dynamics, I guess, between Tatis and Tingler at this point. Well, they've only known each other since what um, October, maybe when Tingler was mm-hmm. hired. Uh, so it's still a new relationship. Um, but I think, first of all, first of all, let's let's get this out of the way. Tatis is 
I think people just see the highlights. They see how athletic he is. He's really, really smart. His dad brought him up in baseball. He's very aware of everything, mm -hmm. including outside baseball. So he he knows that Eric Hosmer, your guy, Andy, was talking to him on the bench right after this. Um, yeah. The, the, the Rangers kind of jawing in their direction. And then Oz mm -hmm. said, we'll talk to him probably to placate them, probably. But he, he also knows mm -hmm. that, you know, as a result of what happened, and you can see this if you go back, as soon as he hits the home run, Manny Machado's in the on-deck circle, and he's like grimacing like, oh, no, like, I'm about to get thrown at. <laughs> that was pretty classic. Yeah. yeah, it was it was hilarious. But, I mean, he was right. Like, he was dead on, uh, Manny Machado was. So I think what mostly Hosmer was explaining to Tatis on the bench was is that, you know, as a result of this, you know, that's why Manny Machado got thrown at, and he makes – or his contract is $300 million. That's a guy we want to protect as well, not only you. Um, so I think, you know, Tingler and Haas and all those guys, they they got that message through to Tatis. And by all accounts, Tatis was very receptive to it. I think he was a little annoyed that this became this big thing and he had to apologize after the game, of course. Because he likes playing baseball and he likes having the fun. And this wasn't fun. This was talking about something stupid. Uh, but I think as far as the Tingler-Tatis relationship goes, those guys, as far as I know, um, they're on great terms still. I mean, Tatis really likes him. He really liked him from the start. And I think that partly comes from Tingler being a more open, open-minded open guy than most managers. He's pretty young. He's like the second youngest manager in baseball. And they've gotten along. It's just uh, that five minutes or ten minutes out on a Zoom call in public, um, Tingler just didn't re represent himself as well as he should have. And yeah, there's probably, to Mark's point, there's probably some ingrained stuff still, even with a guy like that, where it leaks out definitely to the surface in a case like this. And yeah. that's not something you want to portray either if you're going to try to, you know, present yourself as a right. progressive manager. But as far as I know, those right. two guys are cool. Well, when this gets presented as like a, you know, an old school versus new school sort of thing, isn't it somewhat, uh, doesn't that get blown up when you think about the fact that like Eric Hosmer's 30 and Manny Machado's 27? Like, this is just the culture of the sport. Yeah, Tatis is 21, and I guess mm -hmm. for baseball purposes, he's like a different generation coming in. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if you need anyone to kind of change people's minds about all this stuff, it's probably a 21-year-old shortstop sure. who's really, really good and really, really fun to watch. So I think, like you said, the discourse yesterday or the other day was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, one, no one needs just 24 hours of constant tweeting about this or – I don't know, people going on podcasts and talking about this like uh, like we are right now. But, uh, I mean, I think I Jeez, saw, thanks, Dennis. <laughs> I think I saw Wale, the rapper, was asking who Fernando Tatis is yesterday and how he's his favorite oh. player now. So this is good for baseball in a way. And the Baseball's reason, back. Yeah. Tatis is here. I mean, he's the reason why people are talking about baseball right now because he's that good. So it's a good thing in a way. <laughs> so – there's a couple of things with this stupid debate. I don't even like using the word debate for this because this is really just people yelling and screaming. But it's like, I, I, I'm with Andy. This is not a generational thing necessarily. It's not, it's not even like he flipped his bat or whatever. Or it was a celebration. The guy hit a freaking grand slam. Like it was an act of skill, not like showboating per se, right? Like, but it drags all of that baggage into this conversation. And I don't think it applies. I think it's really kind of off actually. And I, I don't like, I keep hearing people defend Fernando Tatis Jr. As you know, like, Oh, well, he's a classy guy, whatever. Well, why would you think otherwise? 
Like, so I, that's that's the issue to me. It's like, why would you come from the place where that your first assumption is that he's not, that you would even have to say that, all right? Like that's bo- it bothers me. Like and and like this idea of oh he's got to change the game. I, again, like I'm not sure that like you should be putting that on one dude, you know. Who by the way, to your point, Dennis, like grew up in the game. You know, his father's a major leaguer. Like he knows what this stuff is. Like it's not. I, I mean, I don't know. Like I just think. Why can't we just sit back and enjoy this guy being a great ball player? And that's what bothers him. Like uh, Rocco Baldelli had a quote yesterday. I hope somebody industry in the industry does something really good. So we're talking about something else. That Grand Slam gave Tatis the eleventh his eleventh homer of the year. That lead that led all of baseball. Like that was the great thing, right? Like that was the great thing to talk about. And instead, it's this shit. So like it, it is it is tiresome it, it, in that regard. It's so tiresome and like. I just, you know, I, I, I hate going round and round on it, too. I think I just get worked up about it because it's like it's like this thing gets dumber and dumber as we go on, you know? Like well, the because it's, it's, already been lit, it's already been litigated. Like, it's already been decided, you know, that at least by people who cover the sport, that the unwritten rules are dumb. Right, we are like, like this is well, like, yes, really Mark. though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yes, I mean, yes, Mark. Are, yes. are all unwritten rules dumb? Yeah, sure. Yeah, if they are if they, they really? weren't, if they weren't, they'd be written down. It has been decided <laughs> more or less that the unwritten rules are dumb. Correct, but you I, know I, who does not agree? The sport of baseball. And so we continue to do this like five times a year, where something happens and there's a debate about this. And the people who cover the sport, you know, like sort of get upset with the culture of it. And it's repetitive and redundant because it's repetitive and redundant because we've been doing this for years and years and years now. That's why it's exhausting. Okay. Well, I don't necessarily agree with that part. I, I, I mean, I think there's, there's a lot more nuance to it than, than it's being presented there. But I will agree that it is exhausting. Like, I mean, jeez, Louise, it's like constant. And you end up like, what's the thing? Like, he, here's this guy, he's playing out of his, he's playing so well right now. Like, he's a great player playing great, doing great things on the field. Like, and, and this is what's discussed. It's stupid. I, I don't know. Like, I just, I'm starting to just like, I, I would just like to appreciate this guy as a player. You know what I mean? Like, he's so freaking good. You know, and also, by the way, like to Dennis's point about him being smart, I love this yesterday. How about the stolen base? Up six, nothing. Stealing third, I think, with two outs. Like, you want to talk about a savvy dude? Like, if you're paying attention and, like, you've been ripping him or whatever, like, or, or you're, you take the other side, like, he just gave you a giant middle finger right there. Like, I, I think it's beautiful. And it was the kid that threw behind Machado who was on the mound at the time when he stole that bag, too, which is even better. And so, like, I love it. Like, I love it. He's so damn smart. And he's great. Like, it's just, it's so good. Like, I, I don't know, man. Like, did you, did you pick up on that yesterday? What was your reaction on that yesterday, Dennis, when he, when he, when he takes that bag in that situation? It was kind of like, of course. <laughs> they were up six to nothing. Um, yeah. He did this weird, like, Matrix-level move past Todd Frazier, who might have gotten him. But I think the interesting thing is they initially called him out at third base that, Frazier's like nicked him with his glove as he was going by. And then, you know, they, they went to review and then like New York overturned it. So it was almost like they were making up for, for yesterday, all the, all the shit Tatis had to take. It was like, he could finally got his first superstar call because he's, uh, he's done this like several times, <laughs> including last season where uh, he's been like 
called out on the base paths and then they review it and they're always wrong. The umpires are always wrong about him because he's like next level on the base paths, not only at the plate, um, he's getting better on defense, but when he does that on the base paths, it's like you come to expect it almost now. Um, so yeah, he's, I don't know if he's like a sneaky troll or whatever. I think he just likes playing baseball and he saw an opportunity. He took advantage of it. Much more to get to with Dennis, but let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Clearly, everyone knows that this is a great ball player and he's just getting started, but you get to watch it every day and you have for, you know, for a year and change now. What is it about Tatis that you can appreciate only by watching him every day? What does he do well, right? That, that, you know, you would have to just be around all the time to sort of notice like, oh man, he's really great at that. Well, I think it goes back to what we were just talking about. I mean, he's, first of all, he's like a Olympic level athlete playing baseball. Um, he could have probably gone pro in volleyball. That's something he played growing up and he probably could have gone pro I don't, internationally in basketball if he wanted to. He, he can dunk really easily, uh, but he chose baseball because that's what he grew up in and that's what his dad did and that's what he loves to do. Um, but I think the thing that stands out goes back to what we were saying. He's super hyper aware of everything that's going on. He uh, he knows situations, which is kind of why it's interesting that he didn't even bother to look down for the sign the other night. So maybe I think in the back of his head, he was thinking this bullpen's given up a ton of runs recently. The bullpen's you know not reliable at all. I know we're up seven runs, but if you count the um, you count that inning, of course, obviously hit the grand slam that, that changed things. And the, the previous inning, the Padres scored seven runs in two innings late in the game. So the Rangers, you know, conceivably could have come back and that the Padres were on a five game losing streak. So I'm sure he was thinking about all this stuff. And as you watch him every day, you come to realize that he is thinking about all this stuff on the field, like faster than anybody else. So it kind of goes back to, he's just making adjustments faster than anyone we've seen at 21 in a long time. How, uh, I mean, I know it's only a small sample, but like what sort of stuff are they working with him thus far this year just to keep him from um, like avoiding injury? Because I know that was a huge issue last year. Well, I think when you're talking to a guy about avoiding injury, that's when he gets hurt if he's going to change the way he plays because then he's thinking about it. So there's, I don't know how much you can do there because he's going to, he's going to run out every ground ball as hard as he can. He's going to, I'll go 100 miles into second base or whatever. But on defense, um, not that this was a problem injury-wise, but he's definitely toned, toned down some of the throws. I mean, he can throw the ball 95 miles an hour across the diamond, which is insane. But now instead of just, you know, zipping it over there and, like, almost taking Eric Hosmer's head off sometimes at first base, he's he's got a better sense of just kind of the internal clock of when you need to just kind of slow it down a little bit. And I think, you know, Manny Machado is really good at that, especially on defense with his throws across the diamond. It looks like he's not even trying. So I think the more he plays and the bigger he becomes physically, he's going to realize that it's going to behoove him to kind of not go 110% in the entire time. But right now, um, I guess we should just enjoy him for who he is because he plays really hard, including in the uh, eighth inning of a seven-run game. What uh, what were you planning on writing about that day? I don't think I was going to write because we had just <laughs> we had just run something on Tatis and how he's so good. Yeah, and, you just you just did a huge feature on him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't really like to go back to back all the time with a certain player. Although I mean, he probably is the player you should go be going back to back with. I just yeah, I wasn't going to write about that game, and then 
you know, in the span of 10 minutes after the game, that entirely changed. I, I mean, like, at first I was like, do we really need to write about this? And then, yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, you saw what happened on Twitter, obviously, and uh, people asking about Tatis. So we, we decided to write another one the next day. I just wonder <laughs> just keep about it going. Like, I mean, it's almost like we had a Padres vertical sprout up overnight at the Athletic. Like, it was the Athletic and then, like, this Padres sub-site. Because, like, I feel like... I mean, it was God, really it was like just Tatis with me writing about crony. Right. But, like, that's still... <laughs> that counts as a vertical around here, man. Like, that's, you know... Um, like, what... I've been interested in the team like the whole season, really dating back to last year because like there's such interesting ball players there. Um, like, what do you think they've got to do to sort of get over the hump moving forward here? I mean, you, you talked about the bullpen hasn't been as good as I think a lot of people thought they would be, but when you look at them, right, like and, and them trying to compete in this really difficult division, by the way, what's got to go right for them moving forward to do that? Well, number one, Mark, they should trade back for Framiel Reyes. Can you imagine that? <laughs> how fun this team would be right now? Oh my God, the Franimal. I love it. In all I'm seriousness, uh, though obviously Franimal is really fun, um, but in all seriousness, Taylor Trammell, the guy they got in return for him, he could be re- really good too. We'll see. He's not up in the majors yet. Uh, but for the guys who are, the Padres who are, um, they have Luis Patino, who's up already. He's in the bullpen. He's maybe the third or fourth best pitching prospect in baseball. And Mackenzie Gore, the number one pitching prospect in baseball, according to Keith Law, is uh, still at the alternate site, um, still working there. So they they really need those two guys. I think like at least 50% of this franchise's future depends on those two guys. I mean, they're 21 and 20, but I mean, they're, they're like maybe arguably the number one and two pitching prospects in baseball. So if they're going to compete with the Dodgers, they're going to need those two guys as soon as the next couple of years to be, you know, not ace level, but obviously really good starting pitchers. And if they have that starting pitching, I think they can use, you know, the rest of what they have in the farm system to shore up their lineup, which still has holes. Um, Eric Hosmer's heading a lot better this year, which I know Andy likes to see, but uh, they, <laughs> they still have the bottom third of the order is a big problem. Their catching situation's not been good at all this year. They're not hitting at all. Um, so that's why Franville in all seriousness would have been good for them because I know they didn't know that universal DH was coming, but they just need to shore up the lineup and the uh, starting pitching. And I think the bullpen's going to come around and you can never really predict that on any given year. But I mean, with Tatis, anything should be possible, right? In the next three, four years, um, they just need to not screw it up. Well, yes, but also like they have a mountain in front of them in the form of the Dodgers. And like, I was talking to a guy with a, with another national league West club last year. And he sounded just like almost defeated at the idea of trying to get past the Dodgers because they were so good and so resourceful and they had so much money. And like, if you're the Padres, right. And you're like in on Mookie bets, like how as an organization, do you get over seeing him go to your number one rival who didn't even need him, I guess. That's a good question. I know as soon as he went to the Dodgers, they were like, okay, he's going to get extended pretty pretty mm-hmm. soon. They just didn't <laughs> expect it to be for for like 12 years and $360 million or whatever it was. And then I think they're pretty, still pretty scared that Francisco Lindor might still be on the Dodgers' radar too, who's another guy the Padres yeah. really like. So. Amazing. Yep. You uh, yeah, you hit on it right there. There's there's not much you can do right now, um, except I guess compete for a wild card for the next however many years. And this is their best chance, the Padres' best chance this year, 
60-game uh, season, your, your flaws become less exposed uh, as opposed to 162-game season for them to do something. So that's why they're uh, – and also Tatis is playing at a, like a world-class level right now, so you don't want to waste that either. So we'll see over the next few years if they can kind of get enough depth to kind of be a legitimate second threat in that division. I think they can easily overtake the Diamondbacks and the Rockies and all that. That's not as much of an issue. But, yeah, I mean, if you're the Padres, it's just – the way the game's constructed, you're probably going to be competing for second place. Right. With like with the negotiations for bets, like was there because it seems like they have they obviously have enough prospects to, to get him. Right. It wasn't that it was just they were sure they couldn't find a matter, couldn't find a match. I'm just wondering, like, was there reticence about. Um, you know, maybe like overpaying in prospects or whatever, was that due to the fact that they worried they wouldn't be able to sign him and they'd only be getting him for a year? I don't think so. I think the reticence is more on the Red Sox part with uh, Will Myers uh, being in that deal. And Well, why are you putting Will Myers in the deal? Because they have three contracts for a mid-market to small-market team, um, guys making 20-plus million, and Will Myers had not been good at all. Last couple of years, very, very injury prone and just uh, not producing at all. And then you can't trade Eric Hosmer because he's one of the faces of your franchise and he's a leader in the clubhouse and all that. So they, they wanted to get rid of that contract. And then Hein Bloom, though, knows Will Myers as well as anyone from his time in Tampa Bay. So that was a sticking point. And I think at the very end, or not the very end, but somewhere in between, um, the Padres felt like they were leading those negotiations. They were going to get moved because we're you know, even one season because they, that's how much, how badly they want to compete and possibly to hopefully maybe keep him away from the Dodgers for, for keeping him from signing a long-term extension or signing a free agent deal with the Dodgers. But they, uh, they felt like they were going to get that several times. And I think on the Boston side, um, Pine Bloom might've been given marching orders that you need to suddenly cut payroll. So Will Myers was not going right. to work for them. It must be like, and again, we can't see the books of various teams, but like I, I understand the the thought process among the Padres, right? Is like we gotta if we're gonna take on, you know, twenty seven million or whatever it is, we gotta you know offset it somewhere. But it just must be so exasperating for Padres fans to not be able to make that deal because the Red Sox won't take back Will Myers, and then see the Dodgers make the deal because they're willing to take on David Price. Essentially, <laughs> like it's just the you know it's not particularly like fair if these are the way the teams are going to try to compete essentially but but you know what like as a counter to that though i mean look at the east right you could say that exact same thing about tampa bay all right tampa bay is constantly watching the yankees add guys onto their roster that they can't even afford like i mean yes and they've won so many division titles you know what andy like they're competitive and they're beating the (laughs) shit out of the yankees now they're they're five and one against (laughs) them this season so like stop it with the smarm like i mean the you can yeah. still compete against you like, can super compete, teams. Yeah, yes, you, but they are you, like the Padres. They compete for second place. Right, but like, what's second place in this context? It's still a ticket to the dance. Like, let's not like sit there and behave like it's like uh, nothing. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, it, I think there's still a chance for these teams to be compelling and for them to get in the mix. And like, and as long as you're that, I mean, things can go wrong. Things can go sideways for even a great team. No, I mean, like, what's I don't know. Like the defeatist part of that would be like I wouldn't get that. I don't think. Like I don't get the throw your hands up. Well, it's the Dodgers. Uh, it's the Yankees. Yeah, th- those are significant challenges. But I mean, th- that team's got all this young talent. Tampa Bay's managed to put it together. I mean, is that really like uh, I don't know? Like is that really the attitude to have? I'm not so sure. 
Well, for me, yeah. I mean, I'm not in charge. Uh, <laughs> I was looking at the Rays baseball reference page today. The, number three in B-War on the team is a guy I'd literally never heard of. His name's Mike Brousseau. Oh. Do you know this man? I've heard the name, yes. He's like the most Rays player ever. He's yeah. He was undrafted utility player from a small college in Michigan. You learn who's something new and, every who's day. Who's one and two? Brandon Lau and who? Uh, two is uh, Kiermaier. Oh, right. Oh, he yeah. has Kiermaier? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's Because well, he's a really like good he fielder. Oh, I see. right, 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 right. Yeah, so it doesn't, okay. you know, he can 100 OPS plus and still have a four win season. Yeah, I doubt that he's even at that right now. I haven't looked yeah. at it, but anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Well, Dennis, thank you for coming on. This was uh, fun. It was nice to talk about the Padres and unwritten rules, my two favorite topics. Uh, is there anything you're working on that we should be on the lookout for down the road? Uh,. Trent Grisham's an interesting guy in the Padres, playing center field right now. Um, yes. Speaking of uh, just good young players, he's another one of them. So we should have something on him fairly soon. But yeah, the Padres are Padres are fun and interesting. It's uh, it's bizarre, bizarre world. I don't know. <laughs> well, they, AJ Preller had a good winter. I think like it seems like that the Grisham deal looks nice. Uh, the Fam deal hurts when Tommy Fam is out, but they did get Jay Cronenworth, who has been pretty good. Has already been like a one-win player in like twenty-five games, which is not what they were expecting. And so you know, yeah, they they have the talent. The, they have the young talent to sort of form the base, right? That can make them competitive. And if they can do that, they can work the margins. They can fit in that, you know, raise mold where they're competing with the juggernaut every year. So it's not, it's not inconceivable, I guess. Or you could be like the Dodgers and get a bunch of Jay Cronenworth, just guys who come out of nowhere and are (laughs) super good for some, like no random, some random reason. I think who was it? AJ Pollock said the other week that uh, I was just trying not to hit it to that Cronenworth guy. So (laughs) yeah, just get five more of those and you'll be competing for first place in no time. Yeah, that I would like Muncie to know. Machine somewhere. Yeah, I would like to know if you hooked up like the the teams in the National League West to like a, a lie detector test. Which guy on the Dodgers, like random guy, pisses them off the most? Like if it's them finding like Edwin Rios or you know Max Muncie or like Clayton Kershaw going down, you know, for opening day, and they start Dustin May instead, who throws like ninety eight miles an hour. Like you know, just I would just be curious which which like waiver wire find is the most irritating one um but yeah that's that's what you got to compete with anyway uh thank you for listening uh if you're not a subscriber to the athletic go to theathletic.com slash beyond the scrum and you can get 40 percent off on a one-year subscription we'll see you next week